Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book divas Martha Steele and Vonnie Golden. And also featuring Pat Greiner. She has the head of an English major and the heart of a sci-fi nerd. These people are passionate about books. Maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls. Luckily, my part is one of those where I am, of the two divas, I spend less time on stage. Uh. I, I come on, I am the center of attention for a page or two, and then I go off. <laughs> well, that's nice. At least you have time to go to the bathroom. No, because it takes way too long. I am... I am vain enough that I pulled out my old waist nipper that I had to wear in the heiress. Oh my God, Pat. Struggle, struggle into that thing because it's a it's a stretch dress and it's like, nah, I'm... So basically uh, you have to get into yeah. a sausage casing before you can put your dress on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd have to get it, you'd have to take it off again because it's over the stockings. Oh, you have to get the stockings right because they're it's 1942 they're stockings with seams oh my god the, the back straight <laughs> why can't you just paint it on your legs like they did then uh renee Payne does that she, does she? she she gets hers drawn on yeah. oh my gosh it reminds every time i think about you know getting all squished into the sausage casings i remember our little outings at the bookstore when, when we dressed up and stuff, I did that for Galadriel when I dressed up. I wore a, a skinnier, a skinny thingy. And, uh -huh. and at, when you start drinking and you start trying to go to the bathroom, when you got <laughs> something like that on, it's, it's an interesting thing. And the, I don't remember if it was that year or the year before, Vani, when you were wearing that, um, was it the Mad Hatter or... What costumes did you have on that time with the hat? Or the, the um, circus? Yes. Conductor or yeah, whatever they whatever, call it. Yeah, whatever it was. That was Ring, that that Ring was Master. Ringmaster. Yeah, it was a Ringmaster. It was a yeah. that was a cool costume. But I remember Von, when Vonnie drinks, she's hilarious. And so I was just pumping those drinks up in there, trying because I was driving that <laughs> night. And she was so funny. She was gone in the bathroom for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, what the fuck is she doing in there? And pretty soon she comes back out. She goes, I couldn't get my pantyhose back up or whatever it was. <laughs> I don't remember what you were wearing, but it was or your tights. Yeah, they were those tights. Yeah. And I ended up sticking my finger through them when I was trying to put them up. <laughs> and I kept hitting my my head on the uh, door of the stall when I was trying to pull them up. It was just, it was a process. You know, we don't get oh. drunk like that often enough. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun and we just don't do it anymore because we're old. And mm -hmm. what, what we will do and wear for vanity is. Oh, damn it. I know, Pat. It's awful. Although not nearly as bad as that woman with the $15,000 hair extensions. Holy oh, fucking gosh. Christ. I mean, come on. I think it was more than 15,000. Or was it? No, oh, it, it was it yep. was fifteen thousand, like in a year's time. Yeah, because but it, it was, was six thousand like, dollars per trip. And then she had like touch ups that were almost a thousand dollars in between. But those. she had to fly to Turkey to have it done. Well, she that's apparently that that was the part that was cheaper. It was cheaper to fly to Turkey with air expenses and everything, because in Turkey they were only charging her. I think it was like four hundred and fifty for the for the hair extension. Yeah. I'm. I guess I, I'm a little confused on how hair extensions work. I've not because, understood that either. <laughs> because it, it would seem to me that once you purchase the hair, it would belong to you, and you wouldn't have to buy new hair. Well, she said that I because they. I'm not sure how they attach hair extensions. Yeah, they have to put the hair extension the hair extensions in, and you need somebody who's trained how to do it. I mean, then, you can get the cheap ones that just clip into your hair or whatever, but if you want hair extensions that are going to last a significant amount of time, they have to like the kind sew that, the kind that you can them. you could have your boyfriend pull your hair and still not lose half yeah. your head. 
because then she said that she, in between the major appointments, she would have to have something called move-ups done, which I imagine yeah. means as your hair grows out, they have, they have to, to move, move the extensions up, up mm-hmm. closer because to Because you'd be able to see them. You'd be able to see the again. seams. If I spend $15,000 in my hair, my boyfriend is not pulling it. <laughs> yeah. He can revert to smacking my ass or something because... <laughs> But I used to talk to this one girl and I wish I could remember her name. She was such a cool person. I worked with her when I worked in Integris and she told me that they call it like when they put the extensions in, she was, she was black. Let me just clarify that. So, you know, um, black people get the extension, get extensions and all of that. It's much more common. Yeah. It's much more common. Mm -hmm. And she used to call it crocheting. That they would crochet the extensions into the hair. Well, this lady that we're talking about was a full-ass Barbie. Yeah. I mean, she had the big old blonde hair. And I'm thinking, how bad, you know, I I don't know. How bad can your hair be if you have to go to that length? And the the picture of her without the hair extensions, it didn't look that bad. That's what I'm getting at here. I'm like. Ordinary hair. It wasn't like she was. It, it, super thin or I mean, her hair was super thin or yeah, anything I don't like understand that. what 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 that is I mean I can get you know an aesthetic choice I mean if I had the money I'm not saying I wouldn't have some work done well, probably not my I hair because I, don't I have think plenty I could of look that. at myself in the mirror if I had spent fifteen thousand dollars on my hair and think about like how many poor kids that See, would be or yeah, that's that's I where I'm at. If I had fifteen thousand dollars, I sure as fuck wouldn't be spending it on hair extensions. I mean, th- the other things that you could even just buy for yourself, you could go on a really fucking awesome trip someplace where you didn't mm-hmm. have to pay for hair extensions, where you actually <laughs> went for, you know, like a fun reason. You could take your whole family with you for that money. Maybe she has the money that she does trips like that and she gives to charity regularly and that's just her okay she special is, treat to herself that's just fine i guess she can do her <laughs> i that's one of those future things that i am along with flying cars and and replicators and transporters i am waiting for the the hair nanobots <gasps> anybody anybody who ever watched andromeda the old sci-fi show one of the characters on there had hair that had nanobots in it and she could just shake it and it would turn whatever color <gasps> she wanted. That's and it, so I mean, she could, fucking she cool. could make it plaid or striped <laughs> or any color. It was like, what a cool idea. Well, you know, in the future, I think what's going to happen is I think we're all going to have augmented reality faces so that we can, instead of putting on makeup and stuff like that, we'll put on... Well, I mean, we'd probably still put on makeup, but it would be, it would have special properties so that when someone with augmented reality glasses looks at us, they would see whatever we program in. Ooh. See, that's my sci- my sci-fi brain thinking ahead. That would, you see, there's, there's a plot in there because that would play hell with facial recognition. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there are pieces of different books that I've read in there that I've kind of you know, mm-hmm. woven together the idea from, as happens when you read a lot of sci-fi, you go, oh, that's cool. What if you did that with it? And that's what I was thinking would be, it would be so freeing for people to like, not have to worry about putting on their makeup and getting old or having surgeries. All you'd have to do is put this stuff on your face and program in what you want to look like. If somebody knocks on my door, I just don't even answer it. Yeah, you got to do the neighborly thing. Just ignore it. Nah. Talk to him through the security camera. I'll call the ambulance. I'll call nine one one. Sit tight. Well, it's just there's so many scams and so many people who I, you just can't because it wasn't too long ago, like maybe six months or something ago. Remember about that one report about somebody being assaulted in their house, and the person had come up knocking on their door like they had an emergency mm-hmm. and they let him in yeah and they like knocked him out and robbed him i had a close call when i was in grad school when i lived in columbus uh, some some guy knocked on my door and asked for directions asked if i knew where 
such and such person lived. And I didn't. And then he said, well, do you have a phone book? Can I look it up? And he almost kind of pushed into the house. And I it was like, your red flag started going off. And there was, I was like, I was scared for me. But then I, my roommate was a photography major and she had, back when people had real cameras and not just uh. their phones. And her nice expensive camera that I knew she couldn't afford to replace was sitting in the living room. And I was like, but I finally, it was like personal safety first. And I just yelled something like, I'll ask my neighbor if they know where it is. And I ran out the door and ran next door and knocked. And this guy took off and luckily did not take my roommate's camera. But I called the cops and reported it. And it turns out that he had gotten into a couple of houses and raped women. <gasps> Holy so shit. I I really did have a narrow escape on that one. How old were you then? 20, probably 22 or 23. Smart girl. Oh, yeah. What was that about the parrots? Remember the parrots where um, they're FaceTiming? Oh, that, that they call each other. Yeah, they're yeah. Fa FaceTiming other parrots and having, like, relationships, friendships, I guess. I don't know. I, I Parrots live a really long time. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, 20, like 60, 70 years. Yeah, I think like, some of them might be close to 100. Right. Can So can you imagine living in a cage by yourself for all that time when you would normally, if you were in the wild, live in a flock? I would never own a bird for that reason. It just It's just too much for me, and my little heart just can't take it. That's, yeah, that's why, really, pet birds freak me out because all I can think of is if I could fly and somebody put me in a cage... I would be looking to get them. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, waiting people... for that moment to drive my beak through their eyeball into their brain <laughs> and kill them. <laughs> but there are people who really love their birds and who treat their birds oh. like family. And mm -hmm. the, the article that I saw was talking about people who are actually helping their, their foul friends to find friends by using FaceTime and Zoom, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, yeah. those birds could make a living for you, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Telemarketers, like you said, sex workers. Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> thinking sex that, workers. I'm thinking yeah. that it's a big missed opportunity to not teach them how to talk sexy. <laughs> because if you could do that, then... You know, you could sit back and relax while your parrot answers the phone. You know, teach it how to be a dominatrix or something. That'd be cool. People would stand in line for that shit, especially if they knew it was a bird. When my husband was in high school, he worked for a uh, a furniture store that installed, also did carpet and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he went out on a call to install carpet at somebody's house once. And they knocked on the door and heard someone yell, come in. And they walked in and with the stuff and then this woman like came around the corner and was surprised that they were there. And she, all of a sudden she said, did my bird let you in? And she, did, she had a bird that would say, come in. <laughs> Somebody knocked <laughs> on the door. <laughs> come and get it, big boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was my bird, not me. It's too bad Echo couldn't talk. I bet she could, she could find, find a, a, a side gig so that when you're at work, she could be earning money for you. If Echo talked, I think that she would be like that one meme of Stewie from Family Guys. It's the mom, mama, mom, mom, mama, mommy, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now cats, on the other hand. Oh, yeah. They're like cats criticize you though. Yeah, they're they're evil evil genius royalty. Peasant, where's my food? There's a talking cat in the book I read this week. Is there really? There really is. God damn, Pat, maybe you should go first so we can have this transition. Sure thing. All right. <laughs> if that's all right with you, Vani. I don't care. Knock yourself out. Okay, so I read a book outside of my normal wheelhouse and in a genre that I was not aware even existed. Ooh. It's a cozy sci-fi. Yes. Heard of cozy mysteries. In fact, I had to look up and see, was there really, because I finished it and I thought, this seems like kind of, I would call it a cozy sci-fi. So I Googled to see if such a genre existed and 
there's tons of them out there. Hmm. But it surprised me, too, because at the top of the list of cozy sci-fis was a book that Martha has reviewed and that I would not have called a cozy sci-fi. The uh, long way to a short or long way to a small angry planet. That's not cozy. Well, they classed it that way because it said they said it was more about the relationships amongst the characters True. than it was about True, but, type. but more from yeah. an eth- ethnographic point of view, almost, you know, like yeah, and, between and, alien species. Well, that's maybe that's just a uh, semantics. The, the book that I'm talking about is called Stay Calm and Dance On. And it is uh, it's a debut novel just came out and I got it at a book fair because the author uh, lives in Casper, Wyoming. Awesome. See, she had the booth across from us. At a local book fair. So Stay Calm and Dance On by Sharon Obert. And this is a book about a group of women, women friends in their 50s for the most part, who get together and take tap dancing lessons. This sounds which, familiar, Pat. Yes. Well, that's a friend of mine recommended it to me because she said a senior tap dancer is like, you would probably like this and you like sci-fi. So what happens in the book is that Nancy, the kind of the central figure of this group of four friends, finds out at the beginning that her mother is an alien. She oh. had never known this growing up. Her her mother came to Earth year when she was in her late teens as part of, oh, what did they call it? The superlative seniors program on her home planet. And it, it's like That's a- hilarious like a foreign exchange program where they they send outstanding high school seniors to another planet and they have certain earth families who are aware of this and host the kids. Oh my God. Only Nancy's grandmother was one of the scientists on this planet who created these gateway tunnels that link Earth too. Oddly enough, I, I am blanking on the name of the planet. I remember this, the city which was uh, Gonwick City. I can't think offhand of the name of the planet because they spend most of their time on the moon of the planet. So oh, okay. you, you find out more about that, which is Ganser Call. Anyway, when people from that planet come to Earth, if they stay for more than a year, there is a gland in their brain that doesn't do well in the Earth atmosphere and it begins to expand and they they get horrible headaches and they would become debilitated. So after a year, they have to go back to their home planet. Mm-hmm. But Trixie, actually Bellatrix, the woman who was the exchange student, her parents experimented and developed a vaccine that prevented that. And so they gave it to her and then sent her to Earth and they said, we're going to, you know, see how it goes if you stay there. And it worked. So she was able to stay and live out her life on Earth, but she never told anybody else that she was an alien. So her daughter has grown up having no idea of this. The Oh, that's right. The planet they're from is, is Denome, spelled D apostrophe G-N-O-M-E. It's, okay. It's part of the Part of the fun with this, I found, was was figuring out the names. Because, like, the main city, this Gonwick city on Denome, I looked at it and went, Gonwick, funny name, anagram, Hawking, Stephen Hawking. Of course you <laughs> would figure that out, Pat. Of course and, you uh, would. <laughs> so uh, Trixie has grown up, has never told anyone about this whole thing, raised her daughter. Nancy has no idea she's half Denoman. And... At 55, she finds this out because a guy comes to visit. There's there's some sort of a problem with these gateways between Earth and Denome. And so he's looking to figure it out. He gets there and he wants to talk to Trixie because he thinks she may have information that could help solve their problem. Uh, and in order to find her, he, con- he, he comes across the daughter first. Uh. Well... As the plot goes on, I don't want to give away too much, but these four friends who are the the tap dancing, the dancing divas, as they call themselves, end up, they, Trixie comes, they, they all get in on the story, and then she and uh, Rigel Orion, who is the guy who comes from Denome to, to check all this out, the two of them use this 
transporter device. They're, they just want to go back to Denome quickly, check on something and come back, only they don't come back. Of and course. then the four dancing divas are... Uh, are three. Either, well, no, there's still the four of them because oh. mom has... Mom is the oh, one it's who the went. Mom, okay, okay. Who, who went and didn't come back, and so they like we got to go save mom. So they go through the porthole and get into all kinds of adventures, trying to rescue Nancy's mother and and solve everything. It's a, it's definitely a cozy. I mean, there is although there are action scenes, there's never anything that makes you like truly deeply fear for the main characters. It's it's all a very friendly, warm, sweet kind of adventure story. But there are lots of fun little things, especially if you happen to be an older person, like references to music. The songs they dance to are things like Proud Mary. And, so, and there are lots of places in the dialogue where they don't call extreme attention to it, but you go, that turn of phrase is familiar. That's a line from a song from the 60s or the 70s. Oh, okay. And those things are woven all through it. It's just a very sweet, enjoyable, light and, and funny kind of a, a book. And lots of things in it are very clever. So I mentioned the talking cat. That was because when they get to the moon of Denome and, and find the people who are trying to help there's a there's a plot that has to be foiled and and that sort of thing. So they find the people who are working to foil the plot and one of there's a dog running around which they don't think much of until the dog starts talking to them and they realize, "Oh, <laughs> this is this is not your typical King Charles Cavalier Spaniel. This guy, <laughs> this is one that talks and goes by the name Charlie. So he is helping them out and Charlie's confederate is a cat named Aurora, who is one who's she's a sphinx cat, one of those Egyptian oh, hair big kind ears, of with yeah. the big ears. Mm -hmm. Only she's in disguise, so she has a long-haired cat wig that she full-body wig that she wears. See, now we have cats and hair extensions going. Cat, so cats and hair, yes, yep. cats and hair extensions. And when she's in disguise, her name is Sylvie Aw because she's awesome. <laughs> Oh my God! Sounds like Princess Donut from Dungeon Crawler Carl. So yeah, and she's a talking cat who goes out and spies for the good guys and reports back on things. Hmm. I enjoyed it more than I thought I might. I picked it up because the author was a charming person, and I was chatting with her. It's like, well, let's support a local author. But while it's not a genre, I think I will read heavily in. I really did enjoy this one. It was a fun, light, clever little read. So that is Stay Calm and Dance On by Sharon Obert. Awesome. And a Wyoming author, too. Woo! A Wyoming author. All right. Yeah. Vani. So um, there's no talking animals in my book. Sorry, Pat. <laughs> Damn it. I thought we were going to have a theme here, Vani. <laughs> no, <laughs> no talking animals. This week, I am going to review The Irishman's Daughter by V.S. Alexander. This is one that I read when we were going to do the Irish theme in March. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when was St. Patrick's Day? Is March. that March? Yeah. Okay. Whatever month. I read this book and I have mixed feelings about this book. Um, it's set in 1845 Ireland and the main character, Brianna, is the daughter of, a, well, I should say her father manages like a big luxurious house for a wealthy gentleman named Thomas Blakely. And Brianna's sister, which I can't remember her name, is actually like um, Thomas Blakely's like personal assistant. Like she travels with him and takes care of like all of the details of his life. Um, so they're a little bit of a Richie and they live kind of um, kind of a smaller town, not a big town. And this is about when the potato famine happens. Anyone that doesn't know anything about the potato famine is the potatoes, which is their main crops, which pretty much everything is made out of, 
there's some kind of fungus or disease in the potato plants that's um, traveling like through everybody's crops in the area and it makes their potatoes like black and I, I mean you just can't use them some people do and they eat them and they get sick because they're basically just rotting in the ground and so this poor community who pays rent to this wealthy Thomas Blakely they're struggling they don't have potatoes because they don't have the potatoes to eat the stuff that they grow that they usually sell to pay rent they're having to use as food and it's not enough to live on and they're not paying rent and so it's just a very horrible bad time people are dying of starvation and sickness all over the place and of course because brianna and her family lives in this big house even though they feed as many people as they can with their stores of food that they have they look at them as the enemy because they have more than they do and these are the people that collect rent from them so um things of course you know there's a romance in it and then of course you know there's a romance in it because when is there never a romance this gentleman named rory who is a potato farmer that brianna hopes to marry someday he kind of falls in with the angry and despair villagers who are against the family and so he's kind of caught in the middle between he should hate them because they're richies but yet he loves Brianna and wants to marry her and so on and so forth. And during this time, Lucinda, who's the sister that works for Thomas Blakely as the personal assistant comes home. And let me tell you something about Lucinda. She is used to living the high life because she's been traveling with this, her wealthy boss and has benefited from all of the luxuries of that lifestyle. And she comes back and has to cook and clean and everything in this big house and is not very happy about it. She is definitely having to adjust and is very vocal about her opinion of having to adjust. And it's just kind of what this book is about. It's just about them getting through the potato famine and the village and all of the townspeople kind of going against them even though Brianna and her dad are trying as best they can to help them but you know they don't own this house that they manage they go by what Thomas Blakely tells them and they have to collect rent that's his job that's what he gets paid for he doesn't do his job he doesn't get paid basically so it was an okay book. It read more like a romance than a historical fiction. One thing I will say about it is that this must be going to be a series. When I checked it out, it didn't check out as a series from the library, but it let it stopped at a cliffhanger. Definitely stopped at a cliffhanger. There's got to be, if there's not another book now, there's going to be another book in the future. It was okay because it read more like of a romance. It was not something that I would normally read. It reads like almost like a bodice ripper. It's not like there's a lot of like real hot steamy sex scenes in it, but it just has that kind of dramatic feel. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Martha just put her hand on her hand, like, you know, a dramatic <gasps> sigh. <sighs> Yeah, that's what kind of I feel I'm getting the vapors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get my smelling salts. <laughs> I'm going to pass out. <laughs> it was definitely a dramatic read. Um, I think somebody who is more into romance and less into so or historical fiction probably would like this book. Just because of that little aspect of it and because it ended in a cliffhanger and I didn't know that it was a series. Uh, I only gave it four stars instead of five because 
there's nothing more irritating than getting to the end of the book and finding out that it's a series and not a standalone. And you're like, what the holy hell? I don't want to read another book. I mean, it wasn't bad. I think a lot of people would enjoy this book better than I did. V.S. Alexander, if you're listening to this, really, a lot of people are going to like this book. It's just, I don't get into the dramatic writings quite as much. Mm-hmm. And that again is The Irishman's Daughter by V.S. Alexander. This is the kind of book that my sister would read. My older sister, if she was still alive, she would have freaking loved this book because she was all about the drama. Yeah, Jerry Springer lover, huh? Yeah. Speaking of which, yes, speaking of which, Jerry Springer passed away this last That's just really sad. Yeah. But he was into the drama. I really hated that freaking show, though. (laughs) My sister used to tell me all the time, we should try out for that show. We should get on that show. Oh, my God. We could probably make it on that show. I'm like, I am not going to go on the Jerry Springer show with you. (laughs) You write them a letter. I will not mail it. All right. This week, because I had to go out of town, had to go to the funeral, I was trying to find, I knew he wouldn't listen to what I picked anyway, because that's just the way it goes. <laughs> when you go someplace with your spouse, or at least my spouse, he always has four or five different choices of books that he wants to listen to, but I'm always not liking them. So we end up listening to William Kent Kruger, which I did not enjoy at all. And that was what was going in the truck while we were driving to the funeral in North Dakota. But I had in my ear my own book, which was much better. And if he wouldn't have been so stubborn, he could have been listening to it too. (laughs) So, and I actually did spend a credit on this. Um, It was called Death Deserved. Jorn Lear Horst and Thomas Enger, who are both Norwegian crime writers, and this is their debut collaboration. So two big dogs writing a book together who are Norwegian fiction writers. So I thought, wow, because I know I've, I've reviewed one from Mr. Horst before, and I really liked it, so that's why I chose the book. It was really not bad. I mean, there were a lot of things about it that were very stereotypical, I guess, of pro- police procedurals. Almost always, there's a detective who is not going to follow the rules. I mean, it's almost a for- foregone conclusion that you're going to have one of those. He's a rebel. He's going to do what he's going to do, right? So you're going to have that. Uh, But this one was interesting because it starts out with a reporter who's going to interview this famous person. And when she gets there, the person doesn't answer the door. So she ends up just on a whim, you know, opening the door, checking the door and it's open and she goes in and she can't see anybody there but it's like weird because there's this starting number like like you would use for a race or something taped to the television and I think it's a one and she's gone the girl's gone so the reporter's kind of freaked out she leaves and calls the cops well the detective that she ends up working with they have a hidden connection that you don't know about until about halfway through the book so that part's kind of interesting because you you really don't understand why he's helping her so much because he keeps like giving her information where he should not be giving her information so the side story that comes with it has to do with his past something that's happened in his past And it's very traumatic for him, and she is somehow connected to that. So you get that little side story going along with it. But the real meat of the story comes when you start trying to puzzle together how all of these kidnaps and murders are connected. And very quickly, you start to realize it's a countdown of sorts. So there are numbers involved. So the number one was this first who was kidnapped, or at least missing. We don't know where she is. And then there are several other 
that they start to figure out, okay, we know this person is connected and they just sort of spend the time trying to piece it together all the while, you know that Alexander Blix, who's the detective, he has a daughter who is on a really famous television show at that moment. It's called Worthy Winner. And it's sort of like a big brother thing where they stick all these people in the house at the same time. But they're trying to find out who the best person is. So they put them through all these, you know, rigorous tests and whatnot. And then at the end, the person who's the worthiest wins the prize. It's you, you know that something's going to happen at this finale show. You just know it. So that part of it was a little bit predictable. Okay, a lot predictable. There were a lot of things that, that probably didn't make this... I don't even know how to explain it. Okay, I love mystery novels. And I'm going to love a book like this, even though... <laughs> You can see some of the stuff coming from a mile away because I still had that mystery in the background where I could try to figure out what the hell was going on. So it wasn't, I wasn't able to see everything. And sure, there were some stereotypical things about it that made it, you know, a little eye rolling in sections. But did I have a fabulous ride with this book? Yes, I did. And I, I loved it. It was very well written even if it did have some predictable sections in it. And I would say for any mystery lover, especially somebody who loves Scandinavian fiction, that they should take a chance on it because it really, it really was entertaining. Another difficulty for me, listening to an audiobook, the names in Norwegian are a bit unfamiliar. So they'll be talking about one character, but I can't remember who it is because the names just don't stick in my head the right way. So I'll get confused about who they're talking about about half the time if you're listening to an audio because you can't see it on the page. <laughs> so that's a little disconcerting at times. But overall, it was extremely entertaining. I enjoyed it. If you like mysteries... It was a good mixture of a police procedural and a good serial killer thriller type book because there was a lot of action that went on. So that was Death Deserved by Jorn Lear Horst and Thomas Enger. That sounds interesting. I I like the Scandinavian fiction that yes. I've read. Yeah, I, I think you would probably like it, Pat, because it has that puzzle that, you know, the trying to figure out who the killer is and there's all kinds of stuff involved. It's not that <laughs> intricate that you couldn't probably figure it out if you're really super smart. But since you don't know where the mind of the killer is, there's always that uncertainty because you're not exactly sure what he's doing. And... You don't know what his motivations are. So it just made it interesting. I, I, it was a good distraction, especially, you know, when you're going to a funeral and, you know, you're feeling upset. I tried several different books on my way there. My usual stuff is so goddamn morbid. You don't realize how morbid you are until you're like, you pick, you know, pull up the stuff that's in your queue and start trying to listen to it. And it's all about death. And you're like, oh, this is... I feel inappropriate listening to this right now. I have to <laughs> skip it. I can't. So I had to go out and find something specifically that would, you know, remove me. It, yeah, it was about death, but it was a different kind of thing. And it, yeah. And it was in yeah, Norway. <laughs> that was an interesting point you made, too, about foreign, about trying to assimilate foreign names from an audiobook. I had that problem when I listened to the audiobook build your house around my body that was set in Vietnam. Yeah. And the Vietnamese names just, they, they all. don't stick in your they, head they because you don't recognize and, them. And I, I have the same problem. It seems more and more in film and television, there are a lot more actors, directors, whatnot, of with African names. And I think uh. probably people who maybe in the past changed their name to something more American sounding because right. they needed to, to get work, right. you know, because of the prejudices they'd face. Well, now I think more and more of them are using their real names. Mm -hmm. 
and which I applaud. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, my brain cannot assimilate them. Names that I see every week. Star Trek has a lot of African named performers mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. And I see those names every week on the credit and they still just don't stick in my brain. It's because you don't have a frame of reference for the way they sound. I think so. There must, then it'd be a really interesting, I think, link, like a linguistic study for yeah. some, some grad student out there in linguistics about how our brains are attuned to, we can take an equally complicated name, four, five, six syllables that say Germanic sounding, and we can remember it. But the See, same I have a hard time with Finnish yeah. too. Fin- uh-huh. Finnish names, um, especially because I, I, I misgender based on Finnish names because they're they the way they name people is just different than the way we do it and and I, I have a hard time with that part of it for Finnish and then Norwegian the names just don't then I just can't for some reason they just don't stick they don't stick but like Russian names I can remember Russian names I can sort them out and they're long and complicated too but there's yeah there's some. Yeah. Some element of it that of familiarity that my brain recognizes that it doesn't recognize with names from other cultures. Yeah, it's funny how that works. It would make a good study. Yeah, I agree. Bonnie says she loves you too. Bonnie's sitting there. She's just looking echo in the eyes like they only have eyes for each other, and I get so fucking jealous. I only have eyes (laughs) for my puppy. You know what she said to me, Pat? We were talking about, we were sitting, we're changing banks the other day. So we're sitting there changing banks and we're talking about, wouldn't it be nice, you know, in the future if we make money with the podcast and whatnot. We get lots of Patreon users and someday maybe we could take the money and go on a trip. And Bonnie's like, well, we'll have to pay extra for Echo to go to sit with me on the plane. And I'm like, dude, you can't take a dog to England. You have to, they have to quarantine. quarantine for like six weeks or something. Yeah. Oh, well, we can't go there. I'm like, God damn it, Vonnie. <laughs> we'll get a babysitter. She misses me. We'll get she a babysitter. <laughs> they wouldn't take care of her like I do. <laughs> She'd just appreciate you all the more when you get back. <laughs> Now you see why I'm jealous of the dog. Bonnie won't even go on an interesting, fun vacation with me. (sighs) I would. I would find somebody to watch her that I trusted. Well, there's some just really crappy people, and I'm not going to trust her to somebody that I don't know. It's just a cool thought that someday we're going to do this. Even if it's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking two years. 2025. I have to go in 2025 because I'll be... Mm. that's hard to say i'll be 60 shoot we wait till 2025 i'll probably be dead no you (laughs) won't it's only two years pat come on do take one for the team (laughs) shoot pat you're probably healthier than all of us (laughs) so our little experiment with patreon is we're talking about doing a bunch of mini episodes so sending two people off in a room together to chat about whatever the fuck they want for 30 minutes or so and and then putting that up on Patreon. The first one was was Vonnie and Megan fangirling about sparkly vampire sparkly vampires and all the trappings of television adaptations. Series adaptations. Series adaptations. Not necessarily television. I mean, Netflix isn't exactly television. Yes, it is. It's still it's video. Streaming. It's streaming. It's streaming. Anyway, so they had a fun time talking about that, and you can only get that if you are a Patreon member. So check. And if it. you are a Patreon member, we want to know what you think. Because if you don't like our mini episodes, then we'll go back to doing traditional ones. The mini ones are easier to do because you don't have to get so many people on the same page and you know how contrary we are all are. It's so hard <laughs> to find gonna... a common theme. But we are still going to have some bigger episodes like oh, yeah. the one we were planning for Sink, Swim, or Float. Yes, Sink, Swim, yeah. or Float is still coming. We're still doing that. Mm-hmm. We, I don't know if we'll have all five, but we'll 
definitely do a bigger episode for that one, a full episode. There's a there's a book out that would fit into that theme that either of you guys might like. It's by David Gran, Killers of the Flower Moon. The same yeah. guy who Killers wrote that wrote a new book that has a ship on the cover. Huh. And it looks like it might be nonfiction. Well, I'm right in the middle of reading another shipwreck book. Okay. And I just finished the New Zealand shipwreck book. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of shipwrecks. Okay, it's called eh? it's called The Wager. A Tale hmm. of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Is it a novel or is it a... Um, I'm looking. Story? But that book, Pat, was called The Sea Wolf by Jack London. Oh, yeah. Oh. And um, it's like only like three hours. Like it's super short. <laughs> like if you wanted if you wanted something quick to read, it, w- it was pretty good. My first thought when we picked the Sink, Swim, or Float episode was to do... The book that I I'd read it years ago called Swimming to Antarctica, and because it was a really good book, but I loaned my copy out, and I think I know who I loaned it to, but it's a person I see once every like five or six years. Oh, so, yeah. But I I could probably find a copy from the library or something, or pull it back. It was, it's a really interesting. It's a book about a, a woman who's a long distance swimmer, and one of the few people in the world who can withstand the cold to the point that she actually swam in the Antarctic waters. Thrilling story of shipwreck, survival, and savagery culminating at a court-martial that reveals a shocking truth. The powerful narrative reveals a deeper meaning of events on the wager, showing that it was not only the captain and the crew who ended up on trial, but the very idea of empire. Takes place. It sounds like it's a nonfiction. Yeah, takes, takes place in 17-something. Hmm. 1742. Yeah, this totally is right up you guys' streets, both of you. Mm. But it's brand new, so I don't know that you could get it at the library yet. You'd have to stand in line forever. Unless you want to spend a credit. <laughs> nope. I'll stand yeah. in line. Thank you. Yeah. It's 15 bucks on Kindle. I could do that. Well, I mean, Ooh. it might be something you're interested in, and it definitely mm-hmm. falls into the going to have shipwreck books for days. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the only one doing a drowning novel. But, well, I haven't even started in yet on that book about finding the wreck of the endurance. Oh. So that would be another one mm. that would fit in with that yep. category. Yeah. So do you think if you were, you know, if you were really smart and you were a theologian and you were a parrot owner, why couldn't you teach your parrot to spout, you know, uh, either Bible verses or advice like 10 Hail Marys, you know, you could do that, you know, you could do a confessional (laughs) parrot. Think about all of the possibilities here. And since parrots live so long, think about the job satisfaction that they would have. If they could wake up every morning and know that they had something to do. What other Maybe they could get a talking parrot to replace Tucker Carlson on Fox News. I don't think that'd be too hard. Yeah, just but they're pretty much talking parrots who spout what they're told to anyway. That's a good point. Yeah, because they wouldn't have any kind of, well, maybe parrots do have a soul, but it wouldn't bother them to lie because they wouldn't understand the concept of it. They wouldn't know what they were saying. They just make the noises. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Maybe there are scholars in there behind those little beaks. We don't know, but that's true. But it seems to me that that would be an okay kind of job for a parrot. I mean, they think it's hilarious when they swear at the zoo and people run away with their hand over their mouth. That's why they got rid of the African African uh, gray parrots at one of the zoos because. They were picking up too many swears from the customers because the customers would come in and say dirty things to them. And then little kids would come along and the parents, parrots would say nasty things to the kids and then laugh hilariously. <laughs> so basically parrots are like toddlers. The yeah. only thing that they remember <laughs> to say is the bad words. Then they say it to everybody. See, Demi- so I really do think that a the- like a theologian parent probably wouldn't be a parrot would probably not be the best choice. Really, they're probably more well suited to the sex trades. 
or polished. Yeah, but they can't talk in a sexy voice. <laughs> Have you I'm heard parents? That, yes. I'm thinking that if somebody got on the phone and they were like, right, take off your pants, take off your pants, <laughs> <laughs> isn't quite as sexy as, you know, like, oh, take off your pants. I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd be surprised at how good they are at mimicking people. Uh, I'm thinking that that could actually be like a side fetish for people. Come on, let's get a bird. I don't want to meet anyone that has a side fetish about a parrot. Come on, it'd be a great opportunity, Vonnie. Let's get a parrot and train it to talk sexy. No, that's a Uh -uh. nice dick. Here is. Let's see. Send me a dick pic. Send me a dick pic. Tommy wants a dick pic. This is a parrot supposedly with a sexy voice. That's all we get? That's all he says is, oh, yeah. Yeah. Play it again. I couldn't hear the app. So good? So good? Oh, yeah. So good. The owner. No, 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 not sexy. No, not not really sexy enough. Although, although you could, what were those birds in? I think it's Australia that that can imitate any sound. The like minor bird. Saws and yeah, the minor bird is a, an incredible mimic. So maybe we just need to switch species and go for the minor bird. We could call it minor your own business. Dudes, we have AI. We don't need to go find a minor bird. Hey, the AI is just as bad. They can't imitate the sexy. Neither can a parrot. You don't know. I think it's doable. I think it's doable. You get the parrot with the sexy voice and have him call the other parrots and then they could make like parrot sex movies or something. Hey, I think we've got a whole new genre lined out. Guys, I just got a feeling here. There's somebody out there who'd pay for that. (laughs) We're going to be rich, and that's going to do it for Three Book Girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow them on TikTok, YouTube, and check out their website at threebookgirls.com. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.